1: Good afternoon, and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo.
2: Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, a new Internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Chibaldo, President and CEO of The Wellness Community, an international nonprofit organization dedicated to providing support, education, and hope to people with cancer and their loved ones at over a hundred locations worldwide and online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. Before we begin today's topic, Let's move to a segment we call Cancer in the News, which highlights the latest cancer
3: headlines. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. Researchers recently announced that hypnosis can help reduce hot flashes among breast cancer survivors. Hot flashes are a significant problem for many breast cancer survivors. The new findings are particularly important because the current best treatment for hot flashes, estrogen therapy, is off-limits for most women who have had breast cancer. Furthermore, many women must take estrogen-blocking drugs like tamoxifen for years after breast cancer treatment, but hot flashes can be so severe that some women make a decision not to continue those medications. The study involves 60 breast cancer survivors who were randomly assigned to hypnosis once a week for five weeks or no treatment at all. Among the 51 women who completed the study, those who had hypnosis reported a 68% reduction in the severity and frequency of their hot flashes. This translated to approximately four fewer hot flashes a day on average for women in the hypnosis group, while there was little change in the control group. The hypnosis sessions, which lasted about 50 minutes, involved helping the patient to reach a deeply relaxed state and then offering suggestion for mental imagery to help her relax and feel cool, such as walking down a cool mountain path. Women also received instructions on how to practice hypnosis on their own. In other news, researchers announced that they've developed a simple screen of proteins in human saliva that is able to accurately detect a common type of oral cancer. This finding may eventually lead to a painless new diagnostic test. About 13,000 people in the United States die of cancers of the head and neck, and about 55,000 develop these cancers each year, according to the American Academy of Otolaryngology. The latest findings focus on an oral squamous cell carcinoma, which affects more than 300,000 people worldwide. More than 90% of cancers that start in the mouth are squamous cell cancers, according to the American Cancer Society. Researchers at UCLA's School of Dentistry collected saliva samples from 64 patients with oral squamous cell carcinoma and compared them with samples from 64 healthy patients. They found that five protein biomarkers predicted oral cancer 93% of the time. It is among the first of a new set of saliva-based diagnostic tests expected to arise from a protein map of human saliva developed by researchers at UCLA and other centers. Scientists also announced this week the discovery of a gene related to a hormone secreted by the body's fat cells that may lower the risk of colon cancer, a finding that could reassure people with a family history of the disease. The gene variation likely helps control how much of the hormone adiponectin fat cells secrete. The hormone suppresses inflammation of blood vessels and can raise the body's metabolic rate. People with more of the hormone in their blood are known to have a lower risk of developing not only colon cancer, but also breast cancer, heart disease, and diabetes. I'm Bill Schaefer, and that's today's Cancer in the News.
2: Today we're covering a very important topic, how to talk to kids. About cancer, We all know that cancer affects many more people than just the patient. With uh, more than 12 million cancer survivors living in the United States, it's an undeniable fact that many children are being significantly impacted when a parent or a loved one is diagnosed with cancer. Uh, In Episode 2 of Frankly Speaking About Cancer, we dedicated an entire show to highlighting the important role of the cancer caregiver. Today, we're shifting the focus to children in an effort to learn how to provide the resources, Uh, and emotional support they need to cope when a parent has cancer, which can be a really scary time. Uh, We have two wonderful guests with us here today who will shed some light on how to do just that. First, we have Peter Vandernut. Peter is the Executive Director of the Children's Treehouse Foundation, which is the nation's only organization providing hospital-based psychosocial training and programming dedicated to improving the emotional health of children whose parents have cancer. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And next we have Heather Hokeboom. Heather is a parent who participates in the Children's Treehouse Foundation programs. Uh, Her husband, Roger, is a cancer survivor, and together they have two sons, Hayden, who is 10, and Brady, who is 7. Thanks for joining us, Heather. My pleasure. I'm really grateful to have both of you with us today to talk about this really important issue. So we're going to jump right in uh, to the conversation. Peter, I'd like to start with you. Would you um, tell our listeners a little bit about the Children's Treehouse Foundation, what your mission is?
4: Right. Well, the foundation was founded uh, fairly recently in 2001, and our mission is to ensure that every child whose parent is diagnosed with cancer is given the early tools and emotional support to cope. And beyond that, We have a little broader vision, and that is that we envision a world where preventing the inevitable emotional impact on children whose parents have cancer is taken as seriously as finding a cure for cancer itself. Now, as you know, this year alone, more than 1.4 million adults will be diagnosed with some sort of cancer, and that includes the one hundred and forty. 184,000 women who will be diagnosed with breast cancer this month and in October. Mm-hmm. Now, when you run the the numbers, that results in their having 640,000 children up to the age of 18 who will for the first time, hear that devastating statement, we're very sorry, but your mom or dad has cancer. Mm. And it's just absolutely debilitating for kids.
2: So, so, Peter, when was the foundation founded?
4: 2001.
2: 2001, and you've really grown. Uh, since
4: well, that time? we really have. We have programs. We have a very special program, and it is now a uh, major focus at more than 35 or 40 hospitals across mm-hmm. the country, including even Australia and uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland at this point. Wow. So you're really even starting to grow internationally. Yes, indeed. That's amazing. That's amazing.
2: Heather, your family uh, has been in this situation. Your husband, Roger, was diagnosed with a brain tumor in two thousand and. Six. Uh, let's, let's go back to that moment when you found out that he had cancer. What was that like for you and your family? Well, obviously, it
5: was, it was terrifying. Yeah. Uh, we found out that his tumors were cancerous
4: mm-hmm.
5: and an extremely aggressive type via a phone call, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, we'd seen the MRIs that explained why he'd been having headaches and having problems retaining Uh, short-term memory-type issues, but it was a phone call from the neurosurgeon who had performed his biopsy, and I still get goosebumps thinking about his words to me on the phone. Basically, I'm so very sorry. Mm
4: -hmm.
5: You know, the pathology report came back. Your husband has glioblastoma multiforme, which, unfortunately, I had experience with that. I had a boss who had the very same type of tumor just seven years prior, and he fought a valiant battle but lost. So. Mm -hmm. That was just—it was a shock. I think the my mind was racing those first couple days, just everything from—is this a terrible dream? To being worried about my boys growing up without a father, to wondering how much time we had together, how am I going to pay the bills?
2: Um, kind of just like your world being turned upside down. Completely yeah completely so we're going to get to obviously we're going to talk quite a bit about uh, the impact on your your young sons at that time but but tell me a little bit more about when you got that diagnosis what, what happened then did you did you guys see some other doctors did you make an action plan did um did your husband roger go immediately into treatment uh what, what happened at that time with the uh, diagnosis? The that
5: was like on a, gosh, I think it was even a friday believe it or not mm. so i felt like well that's lovely now we can't do anything because all the doctor's offices are closed on Close. the weekend uh, grieved a little bit cried broke down called their parents and i think then i said okay i've got a rally you know the boys yep. are counting on me I think Roger was in so much shock that I realized I had to take control. Um, I emailed friends and family and explained the situation and asked for help. Who knows doctors? Who knows anything? Tidbits. Who can help me scour the Internet? And we kind of kicked into high gear, and that following week started making appointments to get second, third, and fourth opinions
2: about Mm -hmm. what to do. So you really, as the caregiver, were almost uh, the team captain. Really, you really sprung into action. Yes,
5: <laughs> <laughs> juggled a lot of balls. That's for sure.
2: To to take control really of the situation and try to put a plan in place. Yes. Well, let, so let's get let's let's go to your to your boys. Uh, let's go to your boys and talk a little bit Heather about so you got this news obviously devastating uh um, you know devastating moment you and Roger were faced with this uh two young sons at the time did you tell them that weekend how, when and how did you decide to tell them? About this?
5: they were very young they were 5 and 7 at the time Yeah uh They knew there was something going on. They could obviously tell. I think just about every time the phone rang, I was closing the door, you know, walking out of the house to take that phone call. Um, But I was in crisis mode myself, and I think I was concerned that if I started breaking down in front of them, they'd get even more scared and concerned. So I stuck to the basics. Didn't lie about anything, but my conversations or explanations were pretty simple. Things like, you know, Daddy's been having headaches. He needs to have surgery to find out what's causing it. Or, you know, they found out that he has some tumors in his head. That's what's causing the headaches. Now they need to do another surgery. Um, I was very afraid about using the word cancer. Cancer. It scared me to death. And, again, I thought, they're too young. They don't need this.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, but did that, word, was, did that word creep in at some point? It did. It did yeah. because I think on the side they were wondering Is this the same as cancer? It's out there in the mainstream media. Kids hear it constantly. Yes. So there did come a time about three weeks into it where it's like, does Daddy have cancer? Mm -hmm. And I had to just be very upfront and say, yes, unfortunately his tumors are cancerous, but we've got the best doctors on the case, and they're going to do everything possible to help Daddy get better.
2: Yeah. So. And did the kids, were the kids involved when he was in treatment? Did the kids see him? Did they, were they actively involved throughout?
5: Very much so. I think one of the things I learned early on is to keep their routine as normal as possible. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want them to miss school, miss soccer practice, miss karate, um, use the help of lots of friends and neighbors and grandparents to make sure they didn't miss out on any of their activities. And at the same time, tried to bring them in. When they felt comfortable going, like, let's go visit Daddy. Can you bring him, you know, a poster that you drew a big picture? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think their questions were very basic, like, when is he coming home? Right. When is he going back to work? Um, did, they ask he if he was, did they ask you if he was going to die? No, they didn't, and I think all of us were scared again to bring up that subject. Right. Right, and that's where I can see where parents and kids alike, when dealing with cancer, you tend to bury some of those really, really fearful issues. Yeah, but it's important to get support and know
2: how to handle those with a yeah. program like Clime. So, so Peter, in hearing Heather's story, th- this is this is a common experience that you come across every single day. Right. So, tell me a little bit more about uh, about the families that you're seeing, the families that you're talking to, and um, what that experience is like, you know, across the country.
4: Well, no one has a an exclusive, um, modus operandi of dealing with cancer when they're told, yeah. it is just so uh, shocking. But Heather did um, really all the right things. The, the The key thing is to very first, uh, immediately after the diagnosis, and I mean within within the hours, is to find some time to discuss it with your spouse, your your partner, uh, other adult members of your family, and try to figure out when and how you're going to talk to your kids about cancer because uh, they very quickly will pick up that something is, is wrong. As Heather said, her kids five and seven knew something was wrong, but they weren't quite sure what. And if if a mom for example says well everything's going to be okay and and uh, things are going to work out alright and i'm fine but at the same time she's weeping and wringing her hands clearly that's a mixed message and the kids aren't getting very good information so it if at all possible, it's really uh, desirable to postpone telling the kids about the the announcement for several days, maybe a week or two, while you figure out what the uh, diagnosis means, what additional treatment you might be uh, exploring, what second opinions and trips you might be taking to get those second opinions. I yeah. think to get it. So that you can sit down fondly with your children, whatever age, and discuss it with them in a very unemotional tone so that you can have a, a, a basic conversation. And at that point, you can get into honest, timely, open, ongoing conversation in a uh, in a healthy manner, and the underlying message of course, should be that you're going to do everything possible to win the the cancer battle, and the kids are going to be well taken care of and loved throughout and encourage them to ask questions to uh, well to get involved as much as they like, but also you have to anticipate that especially if they're young yeah. they're going to uh, need to be reassured over and over again and they're going to um repeat some of the same questions right and Peter. My, so peter we're going to take a just a quick break
2: okay. um we're going to come back to this conversation because i want to get back to this topic of, of of advice and what advice we're giving these parents right. and we'll be right back after the break
0: your life your health your network voice america health and wellness
1: Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's the thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. It attacks the brain and you might not know what hit you. It's a stroke and it can cripple or kill you. If suddenly you're numb or weak on one side, limb or face. It could be a stroke. Get help. There's no time to waste. It could even be a sudden severe headache without cause. If you wait to get help, time lost is brain lost. Maybe it's a loved one slurring their speech or dizzy.
0: Call 911 and get medical help quickly.
1: There are even more symptoms that I did not mention.
0: So call or
1: hit the web for information and prevention. Blacks have a higher occurrence. Do you want to know more? Call 1-888-4-STROKE or visit www.strokeassociation.org. High blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. All make the risk of a stroke more likely. But remember, if it happens, do not delay. Or
0: disability might be the price you pay. A public service message brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community.
2: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and today we're talking about how to talk to kids about cancer. I'm joined by Peter Vandernoot, the Executive Director of the Children's Treehouse Foundation and Heather Hogaboom, a parent uh, who was a participant at the Children's Treehouse Foundation. Um, so I, I just want to go back to the conversation we were having before the break, Peter, and really, this—the this, uh, idea of really what advice you're giving to these families when a parent is diagnosed with cancer. What advice you're giving these families in terms of when? To tell the children that the parent has cancer, and really how much information to give them. Heather, I think you know you said it so well that uh, that kids are kids are intuitive. Your boys knew. That something was going on, uh, you know, in the house. So, Peter, you were saying, right. delay it a little bit. Get your get your messages together. Get
4: yourself together. Delay it a little bit, but but not too long. Let's go. Let's go well, pick up there. That's right. And and my and our personal situation. My wife was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer uh, just about one week before. Christmas in 1980, and it came completely out of the blue. She's Mm. one of those very healthy, normal people who, one of those 15% of people who get lung cancer who had never smoked a cigarette in their life. Yeah. And she ran five miles every day and that sort of thing. So, bingo, suddenly it's a week before Christmas. And she and I were informed that she had stage 4 lung cancer. Well, you tell the children that just before Christmas, we opted certainly not to do that. We were living in Chicago at the time, and we had planned a driving trip back to Colorado mm-hmm. for a week's ski vacation. So first question to the docs was, should we still take the trip? And yeah. he said, yeah, go ahead and do that. But while you're doing that, think about if you want a second opinion, we'll set something up at MD Anderson Devon Houston. Think about financial arrangements. Think of other uh, support people you want to talk with. Yeah. So, Kim, what that allowed us to do, my wife and I, More than a week to sort through what we needed to do and how we were going to do it. So finally, on the long drive back from Denver to Chicago, we we took a break, informed the kids, and needless to say, they were absolutely devastated. Uh, How
2: old were your kids at that time?
4: uh, They were 11 and 14, Mm. 11 and 14 Mm -hmm. And, but once we got back in the car, we had hours of uninterrupted time wow. to drive back to, uh, back to Chicago to talk about this. And so we were very, they're obviously bright, um we're kids, and so we were able to tell them openly every single thing we knew that this we were going to get the best possible help. We had decided we were going to get a second opinion. And once we got back to Chicago, we'd ultimately be um, making arrangements to go down to M.D. Anderson, get a second opinion. We are going to get the best possible attention um, we could. Yes, and we would keep them informed when with everything that we knew. At the same time... Uh, Besides encourage them to ask questions, we really encourage them to continue with their normal activities. They're very active in all kinds of things at school. Yeah. It's very important that kids at all ages maintain some semblance of, of order. And see, uh, and so go yeah, ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs>
2: I was gonna. I know that. I know that Heather brought that up, that point up as well, and I think it's an important point. So Heather, let, 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 let's go back to to, to your boys. Uh, who were very young at the time that your husband was diagnosed with cancer. Um, You talked about trying to maintain a bit of a normal schedule uh, for them. You you mentioned also that you told them that your husband was ill and then a little bit more down the road um, told them about the cancer. So let's go back. Tell us a little bit more about that. And then also I'd love to to hear from you, Heather, about how you found out about the Children's Treehouse Foundation and and what kind of resources you found there.
5: Sure. I think, uh, again, for the kiddos it was – Making sure I could employ neighbors or friends to pick him up after school, get them to places when I was either with Roger seeking second and third opinions or certainly once he started um, the treatment, we had to, he had to undergo a craniotomy. Um, it was like a six-hour brain surgery, and then <clears> it was obviously in ICU for a week. So yeah. I knew they didn't need, and nor did they belong, down in an ICU unit for yeah. 12 hours a day. So. Yeah. For them, it was coming home at night, being here to tuck them in bed, read them stories, like Peter said, keep their routine as normal as possible, taking them to school and dropping them up. I wanted as much face time as I would normally have with them. Yes. And then I devoted every other minute to being with Roger and taking care of him. Um, It was during one of his actual appointments at the cancer center that I came across a flyer about the climb program at University Hospital, and boy, was it timely because we, he was getting ready to start radiation, and I knew that was going to be, you know, obviously something they would notice every day, Daddy's being taken downtown, and yes. what is radiation, so it was perfect. I immediately marched into the patient care office and asked, how quickly could we get enrolled in this support group, and for us, it started
2: just, I think, the following week. So, and so it was a support group for chi- for, uh, just for children, or was it, were you it was with the children? Group, well,
5: it was, it was great. It was for kiddos who have a mom or dad with cancer, mm-hmm. and they were approximately two, two and a half hours in length. We met once a week for six weeks. It was fabulous. We would go for dinner. Everyone would be all together, all the families. You got to know the kids and the parents, and mm-hmm. then we would break off. The kids had their own group of support personnel, counselors and social workers, and then the parents went off into an adjoining room to have our own discussion with a counselor as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the kiddos, this employed everything from art projects to play acting to journaling, putting together a scrapbook, uh, writing letters to your ill parents, Um, some fabulous activities that were great for both my boys. The younger one really enjoyed all the drawing, and he churned out quite a few pictures (laughs) illustrating his fears, but also why he loved his dad so much. And And for my older son, it was more the, he loved the journaling aspect, the writing, you know, whether it was fantasy stories that he came up with about his dad being so strong
2: that he would beat this cancer to writing a note, you know, here's why you're the best daddy. Wow and and um so you were t- together in the beginning with uh, was was Roger able to participate in any of these or was he in treatment at that time
5: no he was and we had quite the i was fortunate that my husband was there there were some families where the parent was actively in the hospital battling so it was the spouse that was
2: participating with the kiddos
5: Mm-hmm. So they and pretty
2: much accommodated just about any
5: situation.
2: And when you went into the when you went into the adult uh, group, was it was it both patients and spouses in the group yes. together?
5: Yeah, we were in there together, um, sharing stories. A lot of times, it was just kind of a weekly check in as to who has good news to report, who mm-hmm. has challenges to report, um, how can we support each other? You know, what's your biggest issue right now with your kids and their concerns? Mm-hmm. And you'd find, even though kids were different ages and parents were battling different types of cancer, the commonality was obviously we were all so incredibly concerned about the well-being of our kids.
2: Yeah. And that's what brought everybody together. That was, the, that was the conversation. Yes. So much of it was around that. Oh, yeah. You know, people just, again, it was it was so
5: raw for a lot of people that I could be gone. You know, they're telling me it was a mom dealing with cancer that, you know, I only have so many months to live. I think it's, how do I get my life in order? How do I make sure my daughters, you know, are going to go on and be strong girls as they grow up, if I'm not here and... Pretty
2: emotional stuff, huh?
5: It was it was tough. I think we had
2: lots of tears every week. I, I bet, I bet. So, so Peter, is this a common? Uh, we're going to take a break in just a, a minute or two. But is this a common kind of program that you provide at a hospital? Is that is is, is that the
4: core of your services? That, that's the core, and uh, we can go into a little depth about how it's structured. And but that's exactly it. So it's that
2: it's really it's that support group idea. And are the program are the support groups run by by
4: trained folks? Yes, they are. And what we do at the foundation is train those folks at cancer hospitals from across the country, and they attend one of our two workshops that we run each year. And uh, folks have come from coast to coast and from even uh, internationally. Uh, for example, we just completed just this very past weekend a workshop, and we had. Um, Oncology social workers, nurses, and uh, a couple of PhDs from as far west as uh, University of California, San Francisco, and as far east as Vermont Cancer Center.
2: And do people have to, do you have to be a clinical person? You mentioned social workers, nurses, psychologists. Do you have to be a clinical person to be trained?
4: Good question, but the answer is no. You mm-hmm. could be a, a child life specialist. Okay. you could be an art therapist. You can just as long as you have some background and training and facility of working with children. Mm-hmm. But but since we are targeting targeting these programs to be run um, essentially on the campuses of cancer centers, mm-hmm. uh, we normally. Um, or targeting toward um, hospital-based oncology, social workers, nurses, and the like. Got it.
2: Great. Today we're talking about how to talk to children uh, about cancer. We're having really a wonderful, uh, wonderful conversation, some good uh, thoughts, ideas, and tips on uh, how to talk to children about cancer and some of the, some of the support services that are out there for families uh, who are dealing with this situation. We are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back.
0: Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Hello?
3: Hi, Bill? Uh, This is George Dewey from up the street. Oh,
0: hey, George.
1: How you doing?
3: Good, good. Say, I noticed you've been walking to work these days instead of driving, Mm. and I uh, don't quite know how to say this, but, but... But what? But, but... Your butt. Your buttocks. Your butt. I think I found your butt on my front lawn. Have you recently lost it?
1: As a matter of fact, I have, George. It's about time someone noticed.
3: Well, it was kind of hard to miss, if you know what I mean. Anyways, would you like it back?
1: Would I like it back?
4: No, not
0: really.
3: So it's okay if I throw it out?
0: Sure, that's fine. Take it easy, George. Small step number eight. Walk instead of driving whenever you can. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to help you become a healthier, well, you... Get started at www.smallstep.gov and take a small step to get healthy.
1: A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope
0: your life your health your network this is voice america health and wellness
1: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community.
2: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, your host, and today we are discussing how to talk to children when a parent has cancer. Um, Peter, you've told us a little bit about the mission of the Children's Treehouse Foundation. Why don't you tell us a little bit more uh, about your programs, when, when you're training people, how often uh, you're training people, how you follow up with them when they go back to their institutions to run uh, your programs. We'd, we'd love to learn a little bit more.
4: hmm well, what we have developed, uh, with um, wonderful input from some very knowledgeable people around the country, we've developed a six-week-long emotional support program for children of uh, parents with cancer. It's targeted principally for children about six to eleven or twelve, but with slight modifications, it can be expanded for children. Little younger than six and mm-hmm. older than than twelve, mm-hmm. but the uh, and the program is called Climb C L I M B, which is an acronym for Children's Lives Include Moments of Bravery, mm. and we run two Say words. Say that now. again. Say that again, Peter. Climb C L I M mm-hmm. B sort of plays nicely off the Children's Yeah, Tr- I love it. Foundation. and it stands for Children's Lives Include Moments of Bravery. Great. And as a matter of fact, that uh, acronym came up from one of our participating PhDs. Mm -hmm. We've had a lot of really uh, clever people working with us. So we have developed a training manual that covers a six-week-long emotional support program for these kids, mm-hmm. and we run two workshops each year, one in Denver and one on the East Coast, and we generally get 20 or 25 professionals, mostly because we're targeting toward cancer hospitals and cancer centers, or cancer centers, we uh, usually get oncology social workers, nurses, psychologists, and the like, and they come to the uh, two-day training seminar, And in the process, we give them all the rationale and all the programming so that they can run back at their respective cancer centers a six-week-long program and repeat it several times throughout the year. And as Heather mentioned, most hospitals run it at about a a a one-and-a-half-hour to two-hour sessions, Mm -hmm. perhaps on a Tuesday night, perhaps from 6 to 7.30, something like that. And we recommend that the first half hour or so be a... um, A group dinner with the parents and the kids, and it it really is terrific because it gets all the parents together, perhaps for the first time. Um, They have a lot in common to discuss, and helps get the kids settled down. And you know, if you have light uh, pizza dinner or spaghetti and meatballs, it's it's pretty easy for the kids, and something that they love to eat. And what we the feedback we get is uh, most of the parents say, "God, this is one of the best." attributes of the program, it's one night a week for six weeks. I don't have to cook. I don't have to cook. (laughs) That's great. And so, what they, so then, as Heather mentioned, after about half an hour, the parents go off into another little session with a social worker where they can Mm -hmm. talk about their issues, how are the kids behaving, how are they acting up, what kind of resources are you using, what help do you need, and so forth, what's happening in your household. But separately, the kids are now uh, working with art therapists, social workers, and we have a whole series of activities, different activities, yeah. for each of the six weeks. And the whole focus is to help those kids cope with their feelings. Each week is a different feeling, mm-hmm. happy, confused, scared, yeah. um, sad, angry, all of which is building to uh, improving communications with the with their parents, so mm-hmm. that they—it's not so scary anymore, right? And they can just put—they can really put it out on the exactly table, right. exactly right. So Heather, um,
2: you know, uh, uh, we have uh, now. Uh, wellness community programs at over 100 locations around the country, and we have uh, some wonderful programs for kids who have a parent or a loved one uh, with cancer. One of the things I've learned from traveling around to our different centers is that kids kids hold a lot of kind of misconceptions and myths uh, about cancer. A couple, a couple that I've heard... Um, Kids think that maybe they did something bad to cause the cancer. Um, right. I've heard that kids, like a lot of times kids think the kids think that, like, an, uh, like any other illness, that cancer is contagious. Um, you know, it's a disease. It's an illness, right? Someone catches a cold. We wash our hands a right. lot, so we don't catch. So kids think that it's an illness that could be contagious. Um, did, did you hear any of this from your kids, or were these some of the things that you were worried about when you were talking I to did. them? I did,
5: believe it or not. I thought, oh, no, they won't think that. But, again, <laughs> you know, they're... 30 years younger than I am, and yeah. certainly it, after we got to the basics, um, and it was pretty much during the, the sessions with Climb, they got much better and much stronger about being very upfront and asking me questions, and one of them was, am I going to get brain cancer?
4: Mm-hmm.
5: You know, and you wish you had the absolute authority to say, no, no <laughs> way, but you say, I don't think so, you know, that's not common, and you're a healthy young boy, um, and then it also was, did we do something wrong? Mm-hmm. Did Daddy get the cancer because we did something wrong, or was it something
2: we didn't do? So there's some blame, some natural blame that you have to address.
5: Oh, yeah, and that's where you just have to give him a big hug and lots of reassurance and say, no way, that is not the case. And the oldest one is very into science, and he was just intrigued when I you know, was explaining some cells just, you know, Started manufacturing themselves the wrong way, and I'm sorry, it's nothing we did or daddy did or, um, so he's very intrigued, and that's fun because I think maybe we'll have stimulated desire down the road to become a scientist.
2: Yeah, maybe he's looking to looking be, at brain scans and
5: <laughs> and become some sort of a yeah researcher to come up with a cure. So yeah, but yes, very definitely those two, so that they could catch it or that that was something they had done. They had they had
2: it. done. Came I know. I know some. People. I know a lot of times children too, when they don't understand cancer. You know, maybe they um, sometimes think that everybody dies from cancer. Um, uh, you know, that's another one that I hear, that they think that, that cancer kills people and that, that, that really there's no other, you know, that you can't be cured from cancer or that you can't get better after cancer. Is that well, one that you hear, that you that you heard, or, or that you well, hear? Well, in
5: our case, we luckily had some friends who had battled different kinds of cancers that I was able to say. Oh. Look at so-and-so's mom who battled breast cancer, and she's doing great, and wow. it's three years down the road. Um, so we did have some ammunition there that, was truthful and accurate to show him that people do beat this and they battle it. Yeah. You know, Daddy's strong and he's given it
2: 100%. So, so um, Peter, are those some of the myths that you address in the, in the
4: support programs for you know, children? Exactly so, because we know that for kids, young kids especially, are very egocentric, and uh, logically they feel that the whole world revolves around them. And so the three we focus on the three C's that you are maybe familiar with, and that is that you can't cause cancer. You can't catch cancer, and you can help. There are lots of ways that you can help. And it's really important that we uh, drive that home with the kids because they have to see hear it over and over again. They're very concerned about whether or not they caused it. Uh, You know, a a 6-year-old or a 5-year-old is is likely to ask if, if she's a young girl. She's going to say, did I cause mom's breast cancer, because I was bad. Mm-hmm. Now, it gets a little different. When she's 16 years old, she wouldn't ask that, but she's likely to ask, am I going to get breast cancer? So the dialogue will change when the kids get older. But the, um, the very same questions that Heather's kids raised are the ones that virtually every child asks. And so um, so that's part of the training.
2: The therapists that you have in for your training are trained specifically to address these issues with the children. Exactly right. And, and it's incorporated into the activities. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Can you give us some examples of how that happens? Peter, we're going to take a break in uh, just a minute or two, but some quick examples of, of how some of those issues are incorporated into the activities in the group. Sure. So you can go ahead. Do you want to give oh, me one or two okay. now? and then Give me one or two now, and then we'll go ahead and take a quick break.
4: Yes. Well, we have um, art activities where kids uh, draw masks. We give them a cutout of a mask, but mm-hmm. they can decorate those and write words on them and so forth to illustrate exactly how they feel and how they understand cancer. We also have another activity where we make a cardboard die, uh, like a a pair of dice, and on the outside, they put things that make them feel strong and brave and happy, and on the inside, some of the things that they're a little worried about, so that they learn how to deal with these emotions again, that um, it's not their fault, they're not going to catch it. And that uh, mom and dad love them, and they love mom and dad, and, and so forth. Wonderful. So, so today uh, on our show, we're talking about uh, how
2: to talk to kids about cancer. Um, I have two wonderful guests with me. Uh, Peter Vandernut, who's the executive director of the uh, Children's Treehouse Foundation, and Heather, H- Heather Hogelboom, who is uh, a parent whose uh, husband had a brain tumor, two small children. Obviously, the whole family was affected by this. Uh, we're going to be back right after the break to uh, continue this conversation
0: a fresh look at today's health voice america health and wellness Holistic health and well-being covers many facets, including stress, time
1: management, weight loss, cardiovascular training, and aging. And that's just to name a few. Your Life Without Limits will help to sort it all out for you. Join host Joe Sardi and the top minds in holistic health and well-being for an educational and entertaining hour. Listen for Your Life Without Limits. Heard every Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network work. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions. How to get comfortable with new physical realities. How to reassure worried family members or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL. Or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope.
0: A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community.
2: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We've been going over how to provide children with the tools they need to cope when a parent is diagnosed with cancer. Um, Peter, as you know, what works for one person might not work for another. I, I would imagine children are no exception to that. And uh, how you talk to young children when a parent has cancer is different than how you would talk to, let's say, uh, you know, a teenager with cancer. What you say, the amount of information you disclose. Can you, can you talk a little bit about those differences?
4: Right. You're, well, you're exactly correct, Kim. The dialogue changes quite a bit with the age of the children. Um, with with really young children, uh, such as Heather's, you try to keep the, the explanation fairly simple. You can talk about uh, cells uh, separating and so forth, but they're a little confused about that. But you can just use... Uh, references to perhaps um, your garden—that uh, there are certain kinds of weeds that grow into a garden. There are different types of weeds, and then use different types of ways to get rid of weeds. Hmm. Um, That's a great analogy. Yeah. So there are lots of ways to phrase it for a child, and uh, you uh, talk and then see. Okay, I know. I remember when we had dandelions, and we got rid of the dandelions. Well, is that the kind of thing we're gonna work with, Mom and Dad? Yep, it's something sort of like that. You don't have to get into the detail, but ultimately, you do want to use proper terminology, and you do want to use the word cancer. If you start to use um, normal or non-normal terms such as, well, Daddy has a Mm boo-boo, well, they misinterpret that, because whenever a child of bangs an elbow against the door and yeah. gets a bruise at the boo-boo. So right. suddenly there are boo-boos all over the place and they're all tragic. So you don't want to start using baby terms like boo-boo. You want to ultimately get into the, the real terms. Um... And again, a, a young child is going to raise all the questions. Is it my fault? Did yeah. this happen because I I was bad? Uh, bad, right? Because right. I uh, wet my bed? Whatever, whatever happened. With teenagers, the dialogue gets a lot different. Yeah, teenagers are unpredictable. Um, Their responses are going to be a lot different. They want more detailed information. They're going to want to know more about the diagnosis, the treatment, the prognosis. Um, They want to know the truth, and they really want you to be really open with them. Now, at the same time, they're very sensitive uh, about about issues. It would be difficult for a teenage boy to talk to his mom about breast cancer. So you... Have to deal with that, and and maybe uh, maybe it's better if a doctor talks to him or some other adults, maybe right. uh, a clergy person, something right. like that. But so it's not it, uncomfortable. That's right. The lawyer yeah. wouldn't be comfortable. Um, Teenagers want, uh, teenagers want to contribute and help if they can, but uh, even so, it's likely to be awkward at, at some point. Right, right. But they want consistency, and again, it's so important to still have them go to soccer games and still participate in their school activities. Yeah. Um, one thing that well, we'll talk about a little bit more. It is just vitally important that kids all ages find themselves into some sort of a support group, yeah. whether it's our program, the children's Tris Foundation, or something else because because a, a child may be in school or in a classroom, yeah. and he or she may be the only child with a parent with cancer and so Staring at the window and and being very concerned is is uh, abnormal for for that child and for that teacher, but when that child is with a group of kids, suddenly the feeling of isolation is gone. Goes and away. They They're that connected with someone who's going through the same experience. Yeah, that's right. I'm not the only kid in the world. Who's, who's going through this. other kids I can talk with. And we've had kids at Andy Anderson, for example, um, have, have embraced the climb program and said, this is our private little club. Right. Keep coming. Right. Well, that's what we you know we know that when you know that that
2: people start to feel isolated and alone, and they don't see any hope, and and the best thing to do is to connect with someone who's exactly having that same right. experience. Whether exactly it's the right. whether it's you know Heather, you connecting with other spouses, whether it's your children connecting with other children who are going through this. Um, we're uh, starting to wind down a little bit here, but Heather, I would love to uh, hear from you. I know our listeners would love to hear. Um, you know, what advice do you have for uh, a family? Uh, where one of the parents has been diagnosed with cancer. They have children. Um, what, what advice would you give to those families, considering what you and your family have been through?
5: I think the biggest one was trying to, again, stick to our family's routine for the kids. Yeah. Um, asking for help. I'm a very sufficient, <laughs> self-initiating type person, but, yeah. boy, did I learn you've got to ask for help whenever yeah. you can and learn to accept help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think carving out time each day to give your kids your undivided attention. Um, Yeah. Obviously, sometimes you can't do that every day, but whenever possible. And for me, it was the basics of every night at bedtime, tucking each of them in individually, you know, answering questions, reassuring them, what was the best thing about your day, you know. Just making that connection. Making that connection. You know, now they've gotten older. It's things when we're driving home from school or activities when I have them one-on-one. Then I can hear what's going on with their day and kind of do a little
4: status check. Kim, that is so important. Uh, This past weekend when we had one of our training workshops, we had one social worker talking about a family she's dealing with, and every evening... The family gets together at bedtime mm-hmm. and um, asks the kids, okay, you know everything that's going on. We've told you everything we can. And here's a situation, a mom who does have um, stage 4 um, cancer and is not going to survive, and she's just in her thirties. But every night they get together, and they've the kids have been through all the support groups and so forth. And they're yeah. about they're five and seven, and so are there any more questions? Do you any questions? And her youngest was was trying to express a question and and was tossing and turning, and mom could see that. The child was having a little trouble coming up with a question and actually voicing it. And finally, finally, she said, Well, Brad, do you have a question you want to ask me? And they've already gone through all the cancer stuff. And Brad says, Well, yes, Mom. I really want to know is there a Santa Claus? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Let's get our priorities straight here. Right.
4: So what you will lay on a lot of the other fears. Yeah. You know, you have a nice opportunity to talk about other things as well.
2: Yeah. So Heather Hayden is 10 now, Brady is 7. Yes. How are they doing?
5: They're doing great. They're my inspiration every day. They're my little warriors, and
2: uh,
5: I continue to get out of bed and face the world because of them. So I'm very
2: thankful I have them. So I'm sure they're thankful they have you, too.
5: <laughs> you <guys laughs> you have know, one her... of the books, I know Peter probably wouldn't say this, but on the Children's Treehouse Foundation website, yeah. folks can order an excellent book, of which Peter is the author, but I found it to be indispensable, and it's called Helping Your Children Cope With Your Cancer.
2: Helping Your and... Children Cope With Your Cancer.
5: Correct. And, I, boy, did I dog ear multiple pages and go back and review them. and. <laughs> So it gives you, you a lot of uh,
2: ammunition. I'm going to
4: hire Heather as my publisher.
5: <laughs> you should. You
2: should. <laughs> well, let, well uh, let's let's uh, let, let's talk about the contact information for a minute. It's the Children's Treehouse Foundation. The website is www. Children's Treehouse, org, or you can call 303 322 1202. Heather, we'd like to dedicate our show today to your boys, to Hayden uh, and Brady, who were so uh, courageous throughout the, their father's cancer experience. And um, we're so grateful to you uh, and your family for, for sharing your story with us today. And, um, and Peter, thank you so much for telling us um, about the children. Treehouse Foundation. No, thank um, you for having me. I, yeah, I also want to mention that uh, at the wellness community we also have a programs for children who have a loved one with cancer, Um, www.thewellnesscommunity.org is our URL where you can find out about our locations across the country and our programs. Uh, We also work with a wonderful organization called Cancer Care. Uh, They run a special program called Cancer Care for Kids, which helps to address uh, the special needs and concerns of children and teens affected by cancer. Um, For more information about that program, you can visit www.cancercare.org org or you can call 1-800-813-hope again uh want to mention Uh, the contact information for your organization. Again, Peter, the Children's Treehouse Foundation. uh, It's www.childrenstreehousefdn.org or 303-322-1202. We've had a wonderful show today uh, discussing how to talk to your kids uh, about cancer. And until next time on Frankly Speaking About Cancer, be well, do well, live well.